All right, everybody, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as I am recording this. Uh, one day late, uh, I, I was in the middle of thinking about recording during July 4th on uh, on Sunday and, and decided, given the noise and racket outside my window, that this just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't going to work out. But uh, I'm back here recording on Monday night. I'm uh, going to be talking about the playoffs, going to be talking about some of the lessons that I think that we have learned over the course of this stretch, as well as some finals discussion. And then talking about the Milwaukee Bucks specifically and how they relate to the Denver Nuggets, because I think they're, it's just a natural connection between those two franchises. You have a Midwest franchise in the Bucks that was gifted a generational talent in Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you have a mountain time zone uh, team in the Denver Nuggets that was gifted a generational talent in Nikola Jokic. And they have both won MVPs. They're the two most recent MVPs in the NBA. Uh, both franchises are overlooked. Both franchises have had success around their international stars. And so I wanted to be able to talk about that. But before that, this podcast is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up. Uh, they are still running a great promo, and I'll talk about that after this first segment. So. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about, first of all, we have the Suns and the Bucks in the playoffs, in the NBA Finals, the final series before uh, this wild 2020-2021 season is over. This is not how I think anybody really thought it was going to go, but this is how it's going now, and uh, we sort of have to adjust on the fly here and, and really be able to talk about these teams and be able to fully discuss them and, and what they mean to the greater discourse of the NBA. And it, it's, it's a situation where a lot of teams and a lot of analysts really thought that they were going to be getting the Lakers or the Clippers or the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers or one of the teams that I think has been in the limelight for as long as they have. Uh, when you got the Western Conference Finals of the Clippers and the Suns. I'm sure a lot of people, even though uh, Kawhi Leonard was basically out and his his injury is still very ambiguous and we don't really know what happened, uh, I think a lot of people uh, would have preferred the Clippers because of how often people have discussed the Clippers ad nauseum, uh, given their roster and given their pro- proximity to the Los Angeles Lakers. And then you have, on the other side, the Bucks, and how they have been in the spotlight, how they have burned a lot of people for picking them over the course of the past two years. Uh, I'll be talking about this uh, in just a little bit here, but 2018-19, they lose to the eventual champion Toronto Raptors. 2019-20, they lose to the eventual NBA Finals darling in the bubble in the Miami Heat. That was very fluky, uh, but it is... it. it kind of taught them what they needed to know about how to face their fears down going forward. And both of those teams, between the Suns and the Bucks, have really had to climb some mountains in terms of just getting to where they are now. That's, that's how all of these situations are going to be. I think the Suns have had the easier road for obvious reasons. Actually, well, frankly, I'm not even sure if that's true. Like, the Suns have had it really tough. 
they had to survive against the Lakers. Even like even when Anthony Davis went down, they still had to face LeBron James. Even when Jamal Murray went down against the Nuggets, they still had to face Nikola Jokic. And even when Kawhi Leonard went down, they still had to face Paul George in the Western Conference Finals. So they've earned it. And I think the Bucks, despite the fact that they have had some luck on their side as well, uh, they had to face down their initial demons of going up against the Miami Heat. They beat them in a sweep. They had to face what many people were picking as the uh, the champions of the NBA in the Brooklyn Nets, and though they never had to face them at full strength, they probably had like one possession, I think, where all three of the stars on the Brooklyn Nets were able to get out there at the same time. That was a big deal, and they were still able to make it work against what many people are considering now the best player in the world in Kevin Durant. I think I would consider him that. It's just very fascinating. Uh, and then they, they kind of got lucky uh, by facing the Hawks. I, I'm going to be honest here. The Hawks did not, like, they weren't supposed to be where they were. The Sixers were supposed to take care of business. The fact that they didn't is less of a, I mean, credit to the Hawks, don't get me wrong. But everybody knows the Sixers just lost it. And it was more on them that they didn't advance than it was on the Hawks for advancing, in my personal opinion. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to think like that? Maybe. But I think I share that feeling with a lot of people. Well, let's talk about these two teams and how they match up together. How what we what we will see against both of these squads. I think the initial advantage, you have to give it to the Suns due to the Giannis injury concerns. When is he going to play? How, like, what, what percentage of Giannis capability is he going to have while he's out there? Uh, it was a hyperextended knee. That sounds pretty painful. Um, I have never had a hyperextended knee, especially to that degree before, so I can't really speak from experience on that one. There are some, some injuries that I can speak from experience on, but that is certainly not one. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how a physical powerful athlete like Giannis can impact a game when he has an injury like that. We're going to see. But let's talk about when the Suns have the ball. Biggest questions that I have for this series. Uh, who does Drew Holiday guard? Does he focus more on Chris Paul? Does he focus more on Devin Booker? Who is the driver of the offense for the Suns? I think that one of the things that has made the Suns most deadly is that both of those guys have shown the ability to drive the offense. Devin Booker started off the Western Conference Finals with a 40-point triple-double. It was awesome. 40 points, 13 assists, 10 rebounds, I think it was. Really impressive stuff. Chris Paul closed out the series against the, the Clippers with just an unbelievable shooting performance. Again, like with contested shots off the dribble, doing his normal Chris Paul stuff, which can get annoying. Let that be said. But both of those guys are able to pass. Chris Paul, of course, is able to pass. But more importantly, they're able to take tough shots and hit them with regularity. So if this game, if these games become a rock fight, 
to the point where you don't know how many points it's going to take in order to win a basketball game. It's going to be 85 points, 90 points, 100 points. If it gets to those points, I think I like the Suns in those situations because they have two guys that can create those shots rather than just one. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton can both create those shots for the for the Bucks, but I'm just a little bit more hesitant with them. Uh, Holiday, while he is good, uh, he is only like as as a defender, he can only defend one of those guys in CP3 and Booker. So if the other one is going off, then who's going to stop that player? Is it Pat Conton? Is it PJ Tucker? Is it Chris Middleton? It's not Bryn Forbes. I wonder who it's going to be. Should be interesting. Next question. Do the Suns break the Bucks' drop defense with Brooke Lopez? One of the things that really stood out with the Bucks in their, their battle against the Hawks was that they were able to stay and drop. They were able to continue to make it work defensively. And they still changed up some things, don't get me wrong. But most of the time, when they had Lopez on the floor, they had an advantage on the offensive end that they continued to go and utilize throughout those games. And it really reared its head in Game 6, where they were able to keep Lopez on the floor and he responded with 33 efficient points. Because nobody on the Hawks was big enough to defend him. Now that's going to be different against the Suns, where you have DeAndre Ayton. So, can he and the Bucks' defense stay competent on that end? Competent enough that maybe they could see some drop-off on the offensive end and still be okay? One of the things that really stood out against the Nets was that they, they went to P.J. Tucker and Giannis at the 5 and were playing so small for most of that series that it just they just had to stick with it at that point. Though Lopez was on the floor in the crucial moments of that Game 7 and did have a crucial block. It's tough. There's so much about these teams that doesn't really make much sense. And they have different ways that they could play. They have different styles. Um, the Suns especially have so many different styles. And one of the things that's going to be really interesting is how they use their forwards, how they use their wings, uh, and whether Giannis has to spend time on those guys, or if he goes and defends DeAndre Ayton. Can Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, can they hit a combined 10 threes in a game? Eight threes, ten threes, whatever you want, like a, a large number that really turns the tables against a team like the Bucks that is going to struggle to keep up because they don't have a great offensive formula against the Suns team. I'm going to be curious about that. I'm going to be curious uh, whether Giannis can spend time at the three and the four, or whether he's going to struggle in a lot of those cases because he wants to be a help defender, and those guys are just going to be out at the three-point line, camping it out, waiting for their open shots, waiting for Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton to kick it out. And they will be open if Giannis is on the perimeter, I think. That is my take. 
it may be wrong. Maybe they can stay solid. Maybe they, because they're playing drop defense, maybe they could be okay. But we've seen Chris Paul and Devin Booker repeatedly kill that drop defense. And I wonder if they can kill it again. Last one for when the Suns have the ball. Will campaign continue to dominate in these playoffs? Had an injury, not sure what the status is. I think he's back to normal. Uh, but Cameron Payne, when he was at the initial stages of these playoffs, like he was just a dominant player in a lot of these games. Uh, to the point where even when they didn't have Chris Paul on the floor, it never really felt like Chris Paul left because of what Cameron freaking Payne is doing. So, he is going to be the guy that Bryn Forbes is going to be defending most of this time. Can Bryn Forbes stay in front of Cameron Payne? Because if the Suns have this massive advantage with their bench unit, then that just means that Drew Holiday is going to have to play 42 minutes a night, Chris Middleton is going to have to play the two, Pat Conson is going to play... They won't be able to take advantage of Bryn Forbes' three-point shooting as much. That is the pressure point. I think the Suns can really push here because they have a really, really great bench, especially for the playoffs. Not sure about the Bucks bench. Other than Bobby Portis, who I think is surprisingly good. Uh, but be that as it may, here's what I think when the Bucks have the ball. Uh, I'm thinking about Giannis versus Ayton. I'm thinking about that matchup, whether Aiton is going to be on Giannis consistently, whether they try to put Crowder on Giannis initially. I think that they could probably get away with that, but my next biggest question, is Crowder still good enough defensively to match up with Giannis when Aiton isn't guarding him? The last time the Bucks played the Heat uh, in 2019-20, you saw them... You saw the Heat just catch fire. You saw them shoot the hell out of the ball because they were generating open shots and they were shooting with confidence. Jay Crowder, king among them. It never felt like the Bucks were able to kill the Heat on the interior. And at that point, two points was still less than three. Because even when Brooke Lopez and Giannis and Chris Middleton and guys like that were getting to the mid-range or the, or the front of the rim or somewhere in the paint, and they were converting those shots. The Heat were still making 50% of their threes. And the Suns have the capability of doing that too, especially given the, the personnel that the Bucks have. So, can two be better than three? Can Brooke Lopez... Can he match up with Dario Saric offensively and defensively? Uh, because that's, that's just a big question. Like Dario Saric is shooting like 44% from three in these playoffs, turning into way above the 33% three-point shooter that he was entering this thing. Can Brook Lopez punish him and put him under the rim? Because of the way the Bucks like to do their rotations, will Giannis be out there a ton when Dario Saric is too? And can Giannis destroy Dario Saric? I wonder if Aiton is going to have his minutes mirrored with Giannis on that second unit. That to me feels like a good adjustment that the Suns will make. I don't think I would be 
really stoked if I was uh, the Suns to have Dario Saric be guarding Giannis. But if he can, that certainly changes things. That certainly changes the calculus of this. Because then you've got Aiton out there against Brook Lopez at times. He'll have the size to be able to match up with him consistently. That won't be something that uh, Dario has to deal with on his own. This may not be a good Dario Saric matchup, or it might. We're just going to have to see. And last thing there, can Drew and Chris Middleton, can they stay efficient in this series? Can they remove the stinker games? There's, there's always a 6 of 23, a, a 5 of 20 game that when you look back at for the Bucks. You think, oh man, if only this thing was different. If only they made two more baskets, three more baskets, and one of them was a three. That generally changes how the flow of the game works, how we sort of remember these things. The Bucks are one of those teams that has been just shooting so poorly in, these, in this postseason, despite the fact that they're a good three-point shooting team under normal circumstances. They've been playing big. They've been relying on heavy minutes from P.J. Tucker. Giannis hasn't shot the ball well. Chris Middleton hasn't shot the ball well from the outside. Drew Holiday hasn't shot the ball well from the outside. If those guys can just start shooting efficiently, hitting the shots that are generally open for them and that they've made during the regular season, the calculus of this really changes. But I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see. My three predictions for this series are the Suns going up early. They're going to win two of the first three games. Giannis will return from injury during that time, whether it's game one, game two, or game three. He'll be back. But the Suns are going to start out hot. They're going to start out because they have the confidence. Eventually, though, I think that Giannis and Middleton, they're going to lead the charge that turns things around. They're going to flip this thing around to 3-2 in favor of the Bucks, And if they can do that, and you can go into a game six on your own home court, and you have all of the pressure on Phoenix, that's when I think the Bucks' defense is going to prevail, where the role players hit enough shots, and then the Bucks win a title. That's my prediction. I'm going to go with Milwaukee in six, despite the fact that I think the Suns have more Ways that they could really kill the Bucks. I'm just going to trust the Bucks defense to prevail here. Giannis to be the best player on the floor when he comes back. And then for Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday to really pick up the slack for when he's adjusting, when he's coming back. But it's going to be so fascinating. Uh, Drew Holiday is the best guard that the Suns have faced so far. Chris Middleton. I think is the second best or third best wing behind LeBron James and uh, Paul George. And then Giannis is probably like he's the second best player they've faced behind, maybe third, behind Nikola Jokic and, and LeBron James in some order. Um, but with the way that Giannis plays and with how important DeAndre Ayton is to the Bucks. Or to uh, to the Suns, excuse me. I think that there are ways that they could get them into foul trouble. I think there are ways that they could make this work. And I really do think that their defense is going to look a lot different 
than the Clippers' defense, than the Nuggets' defense, and then the Lakers' defense when they didn't have Anthony Davis. As long as Giannis is back and Giannis is healthy, the Bucks are going to be better. They're going to be a, a good defensive team. They don't have a lot of defensive weaknesses. And I think they can survive without the players that are those defensive weaknesses on a consistent basis. So, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the playoff lessons. But first, this podcast, as you know, is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I love DraftKings. They are always uh, so supportive for me uh, with, the, with the partnership that we have. Uh, they do such a great job for their users, and they are still running this promo where if, if you are a new user and you're signing up and you're using code MHS to sign up, then you can bet $1 on the money line of a team and you can earn $100 in free site credits. I would recommend betting the Suns in game one just because I think that they're going to be ready for this. They, they have all the momentum right now because of where they finished, because of just kind of where everything is with them. But DraftKings, they're going to have that. They're going to have player props. Those are some of my favorites. You can bet the money line. You can bet the spread real time. You can bet all these crazy things. And if basketball betting isn't for you, then they're still doing baseball. They're still doing hockey with the, with the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. And they're still doing golf. And the, the, uh, the World Cup, or the Euro Cup, excuse me, with soccer. There are so many options. All you can bet all the time. All you have to do is make sure to sign up. And when you do, use promo code MHS. Let them know that you came from here. Let them know that you listened to this podcast. It'd be a big deal. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for all the, the great ratings and reviews that you left on this podcast over the course of these last few days. Uh, the most recent one that I that I received, one of the biggest laughers that I've, I've, I've had in a very long time uh, was in the Starbucks drive-thru, wanted to change over podcasts, wanted to check out my reviews, and just burst out laughing. And if you go look at the review, you'll see what I mean. It is very funny. I don't want to talk about it over the pod, but uh, it was awesome. So if you are so inclined, it would be awesome to leave a rating and review on iTunes, pod, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your pods. Thank you so much for doing so. All right, playoff lessons. This is I'm going to go quickly through here because I know that this is a this is a podcast that is basically about, oh man, the Nuggets didn't do all these things, and we're going to talk about and credit all these teams that are still in this thing, and we're going to reminisce over why the Nuggets couldn't, and maybe it was just because Jamal Murray wasn't there, and there's something to be said for that, for that, but as you guys know, based off of the podcast that I've done, I think it is very important to continue to focus on the roster building side of things. 
who the Nuggets want to be, how they can make that happen. I've talked about the Michael Porter extension, talked about building out the rest of the rotation, what it needs to look like, how the Nuggets can get from point A to point B, because it is so difficult. And all of these decisions have a cascading effect. So I have four playoff lessons that I want to talk about. One of them is, is not a, a long one, but it's, uh, it's something that I think is important. So first one, the two healthiest good teams are the ones left standing. There were other healthier teams. There were other good teams. But this was the combination of the healthiest good teams in both conferences. The Bucks ran up against a team in the Brooklyn Nets that was their equal, perhaps their superior, but they didn't have Kyrie Irving and they had a hampered James Harden. They didn't have all three of their stars at the same time. And Kevin Durant, like at some point, he tired out. Maybe it was because he was playing 48-minute games and playing all of the minutes. That was a big deal. The Suns, as we have mentioned, they didn't have to face Anthony Davis at the end. They didn't have to face Jamal Murray or Kawhi Leonard at all. Uh, They really benefited from that. And anybody that says anything different is crazy. But what I will say is that they also earned it. They're also a really, really good team. And one of the reasons that they were the healthiest team was because of how, how great they did at filling out and spreading out the responsibilities in their rotation. You had the two primary playmakers. You had an elite backup guard in Cameron Payne this year. Uh, Cameron Payne was basically like Monte Morris for the Nuggets. And they just happened to get him. Like They just, they just picked him up. I think he was free, basically. And he just turned into an elite backup point guard who's going to get money, probably in the eight-figure range per year on the open market this offseason. Might be from the Phoenix Suns, although they may not have his bird rights. I actually don't know about that. But the important thing that they had going for them was the two primary playmakers that could split up those responsibilities. When Chris Paul wasn't out there, it was Devin Booker who was leading the charge. When it was Devin Booker who wasn't out there, Chris Paul was leading things and dictating the pace. You had 10 players on that roster that in the regular season averaged over 15 minutes per game. All of their options were interchangeable. You had Campaign, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, who could all play the one or the two. You have Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, who could all play the three and the four. And you have Dario Saric who could play the small ball five, or move up to the backup four, uh, or just like play next to DeAndre Ayton. All of those guys had just so much ability to make it work throughout the year. And their ability to play different styles, their ability to go big and small, their ability to share the responsibility was so big that they didn't tire out throughout the year. Nobody had to carry such a massive load other than Devin Booker and, and to a certain extent, Chris Paul, that it, it became overbearing. I think when you compare it to a team like Denver, Jokic had to, comp- he had to share, like he had to take on such a heavy load, like did the work of Chris Paul and Devin Booker at times. Did the work of, let's say, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton 
because he had to be the big rebounder. He had to be the the linchpin on the defensive end while also being the main scorer and creator on the offensive end. So having players that can do all of that kept them healthy during what was a really difficult year. I'm not breaking news here to anybody. The Nuggets have to continue to fill out as deep of and strong of a roster as they possibly can. But it becomes a lot more difficult when you're paying three max contracts. The Suns, by example, are paying two. They're paying one to Chris Paul, and they're playing and they're paying one to Devin Booker. The rest of their cap sheet, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that Jay Crowder is the third third highest paid player. Let me just check that real quick, because I think that sort of should give people a good idea. Oh, it's actually DeAndre Ayton because he's a first overall pick. He's making ten million. Jay Crowder's making the the full MLE at nine million, nine point two five. Dario Saric is making eight, and then Mikael Bridges is at four point three. So. Being able to maximize those, those dollar amounts, being able to find campaign for $1.9 million, uh, Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges and Dario Saric and Jay Crowder, and being able to get all those guys for those low amounts of money, that's going to be a big deal for Denver as they continue to build their roster. Can't overpay. Cannot overpay. Milwaukee. They have their main core, but they also have their support options, and I think it's pretty similar. In all honesty, you have the three main high dollar amount guys with Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. But then you have a bunch of guys. Brooke Lopez is their other de facto starter. They traded for PJ Tucker this year at seven point or basically eight million. But then they have a bunch of guys in the to $5 million range that they've used to help fill out the roster, and they're all pretty helpful. The only two who aren't really helpful are Dante DiVincenzo, who was a starter and is now injured, and Thanasis Antetokounmpo, who is Giannis's brother, and I'm sure is keeping him happy in, in Milwaukee. They found out how to maximize their salary. They found out how to make it work. And they did so by adding Drew. He took that pressure off of Giannis and Middleton. They added PJ Tucker and Bobby Portis. He was also they were also taking pressure off of Lopez as the starting five. And Giannis at the five also does that too. They trusted who they are, and they trusted what those support options were capable of doing. They're all capable of playing defense. And that's what they've done. They've turned themselves into, I think, the best defensive team in the postseason, if I'm not mistaken. And that's while facing some really good offenses. So good on them for being able to do that. Uh, It is very impressive, in my opinion. But those are the healthy good teams. They have their main hierarchy, and those guys are always going to get the credit. You've got Giannis, Middleton, and Drew on one side. You've got Booker. CP3, and Aiton on the other side. But you're going to have your star role players. You're going to have guys that can step up here or there. I think the Suns have more of those, more of those guys than the Bucks do. The Bucks really heavily rely on their big three. 
if those guys aren't good, then it'll take Brook Lopez getting 30-plus to really get them a win. Fortunately for them, he was able to do that against the Hawks. Whether he can do that in the finals remains to be seen. Second playoff lesson. It is a guards league. Let's go quickly here. The league, its rules, the play styles, they are all defined by spread, pick, and roll at the moment. What you do from 30 feet out, what you do with a spaced floor, and how you defend that action. Can you inflict pain on the opposing team by running spread, pick, and roll? Can you defend spread, pick, and roll itself? I think the Nuggets have an answer to one of those, saying yes, that they can run and inflict pain using spread, pick, and roll when Jamal Murray is healthy. They were able to do it against a really awful, no good, very bad defense in the Blazers. They weren't able to do it against the Suns. And that really stands out. It's also why Faku Campazo has got to improve as a scorer off the dribble. If he is going to be a part of things, the Nuggets are going to have to surround themselves with guards that can score in the backcourt. Players that can go off the dribble, drive to the rim, pull up in the midrange, use their floater game, whatever. They have to have that capability in order to survive. If they don't, things are going to get bad. All of these teams that have reached the Eastern and Western Conference Finals have had a lot of guards that can run, spread, pick, and roll, but can also, like, they're also just good enough to take guys off the dribble in isolation. Take the Clippers, for example. You had Paul George, and you have Kawhi Leonard, obviously, and those guys were the primary offensive options. But the Clippers were able to get to the Western Conference Finals because they had Reggie Jackson and because they had Terrence Mann. And those guys just came out of nowhere in a lot of cases and made themselves a lot of money in the process because of how good they were at just scoring off the, dribb- off the dribble and then hitting threes. Hitting threes, kind of a big deal too. The Suns, as we've talked about, they have CP3, they have Devin Booker, they have Cameron Payne. All three of those guys, very capable off-the-dribble scorers. Atlanta Hawks, four guys. Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Lou Williams. All four of those guys were able to give the Hawks enough offense to get past the 76ers to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's pretty impressive given their talent level, given who they were missing. Missing DeAndre Hunter for most of it. Cam Reddish for most of it. They also just weren't, like, as good. But they were still able to get by because they had so many options. That was one of the things this offseason that really stood out. They spent a bunch of money to getting good wings. Even traded for Lou Williams. I think it just really stands out that they're going to be one of those teams that have so many options that they may not know what to do with them because there are so many. And the Bucks, they have Holiday and Middleton. They kind of break the mold a little bit, but it's a lot of it is because they trust their defense. A lot of it is just because of who they are, the identity that they've established around Giannis. He is an off-the-dribble creator in a lot of these situations as well. So kind of changes things a little bit different. 
It's why the loss of Jamal Murray was so impactful, but also why not having Will Barton for a lot of the playoffs, not having P.J. Dozier at all, like just adding options to the group generally make th- makes things easier. And so if Denver were to go into a playoffs next year with a healthy Murray, Morris, Barton, Dozier, Austin Rivers, Faku Campazzo, all of those guys, all of them capable of doing stuff, and then you add on Porter, Gordon, Jokic, Jamichael Green, Zeke Naji, whatever, you're feeling pretty good about it. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit here. Third thing, small ball centers. They are the way of the present and the future. If you are a power forward, that means you better be able to play center. Clippers have Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Paul George even played some. Phoenix Suns, they have Dario Saric. He hasn't had to play a ton behind DeAndre Ayton, but when he has, they've been really successful. The Hawks, they have John Collins when he slides to the five. Onyeka Okongwu, six foot eight, but still pretty good. A lot of good rim rolling tendencies, uh, good defensive instincts as well. And then Gallo also played some small ball five for them. Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis slides to the five all the time. PJ Tucker. Bobby Portis, they have given Brooke Lopez a little bit of flexibility. And what really stands out here from a roster-building perspective, there are no backup seven-footers anymore. The Nuggets take this account. They, I'm sorry. The Nuggets must take this into account as they build their roster. How many backup seven-footers were there in the playoffs this year? How many? I hear people clamoring for JaVale McGee all the time. And there is a reason for that. Like, JaVale had some good moments when he was with Denver. But not enough that I think you could really trust him out there because the game is just moving away from that. You're going to need another Paul Millsap type. You're going to need a a Jamichael Green type. You're going to need a Marcus Morris or a Nick Batum from the the Clippers or a Dario Saric or somebody like that. Denver has to take that into account. Now, maybe this would have changed. Maybe all these teams would have been screwed if the Lakers were fully healthy because they had Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Those are the best small ball options. So if you can go small ball and still play Anthony Davis and LeBron James out there, then that sort of changes the calculus of this. Also, when they play 3-4-5, if you get a good center in that scape, which Dwight Howard was good for them at various points, JaVale McGee was good for them at various points, sort of changes the calculus as well. Denver, they know what their starting front court is going to be. You've got Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. I'd be shocked if it was anything other than that. But what about the backup front court? What are you looking for? Jamichael Green, he has a player option. Paul Millsap, JaVale McGee, they're free agents. I think Jamichael Green... Ideal backup 4-5. Somebody who can play both positions. Somebody who might be best as a center going forward. He's a little bit older. He's smart. Knows what he's doing. Good rebounder. Would be pretty helpful. Vlako Chanchar? Killing it for, for Slovenia right now. Good lord. Need to talk. Could he be a backup 4-5 on the second unit? Probably. 
Does that mean 10-15 minutes? Does that mean not playing much at all? And then maybe your time comes in the playoffs? I don't know. But having multiple options, really important. Zeke Naji, I think he is for sure going to get a chance. He might even be the five. And I hear a lot of people talking about him as the three, but that's just not the way the game is moving. It's going the opposite direction. Zeke Naji, I think he'll be more of a five than he will be a three. But the thing is, is he's going to be a four. He was drafted as kind of like a four in mind when the Nuggets really selected him, a 4-5. And so, I don't think they should go far away from that. They need to know that that's where the game is going, and that's what really matters. And we're just going to have to see what they can do here. Bull Bull is also on the roster, but I have my doubts about him for obvious reasons. Uh, maybe he proves me wrong. I hope he does prove me wrong. But I just think Denver can go a little bit more stable there. They should go cheaper in the front court, and they have those options on roster, whether Jermichael Green picks up his player option, whether Vlaco is picking up his team, whether they pick up Vlaco's team option, Zeke Naji is staying around, he's going to be cheap for three years. It's a good option, good way to do it. And the last point, whatever these teams do, whatever they decide is their strength, whatever they know are their weaknesses, however they play the game, the attitude and swagger of knowing you're good enough is really, really important. Phoenix and Atlanta, they played like that all playoffs long. They knew they were good enough to win these games. They played like it, and they talked like it. They embody this, and maybe there's some small guard complex there with CP3, Trey Young. Mouths are very big because of being small and diminutive of stature. That can sometimes happen, and it's fair to them. Like, they could talk the talk if they are dishing out 40 spots. But the Lakers said the same thing last year, and they were doing it with the, the big bully complex that they had. They were the biggest and baddest team, and they played physical, and they played rough, and they beat teams down that way, while also knowing that they could go to LeBron at the four, AD at the five, and surrounding them with three guards like. Uh, Danny Green, Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and still be really good. Really, really good. Whatever you do best, act like it. Holler about it. Yell about it. Tell the world about it. The Nuggets, once they learn that, it's not quite in their DNA yet, and may not be in their DNA because that's just not who Jokic is. But I hope he starts to trash talk. That would be a lot of fun to root for. And once he starts to get to that point, that will be the time when the Nuggets are the most confident, in my opinion. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the comparison between the Bucks and the Nuggets. We'll be right back. Final segment here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know I said I would be going quickly through some of this stuff, but I just I game plan for so many of these with so many notes, and uh, that's just that's just how I do, guys. It's a 
it's unfortunate, but I want to talk about one last thing here before we go. The Bucks versus the Nuggets. Who the Bucks are, who they were back in 2018-19, and who the Nuggets are now, how they continue to go forward, what they can learn from what the Bucks did when they went forward. The identities, I think, are pretty similar. You've got Giannis and you've got Jokic. You've got MVPs. You've got two players who are from foreign lands who play the game and I think are very untraditional in how they dominate the game uh, from a current standpoint. Giannis does it with the just the brute force action. Haven't seen anybody like him since Shaq that does it that well. Even Joel Embiid, like, he flops and falls down so often that it sometimes becomes hard to think about it. Giannis, he's just trying to run through that brick wall every single time. He's not falling down as often. He'll scream and holler, but he's not falling down as much. Jokic, he doesn't do pretty much any of that. He doesn't holler at all. He just tries to methodically pick apart teams like a surgeon. And he does it really well. They do it in different ways. They're very unique, very different from anybody that's won the MVP in the past, other than maybe Shaq. It's just very interesting to think about. And then Middleton and Murray, I think, are at a similar place within the league. Middleton in 2018-19 was his first All-Star appearance. Finally really came across uh, as, a, as an elite player, as an elite option. Started to get that credit. Jamal Murray starting to get that credit now. He got it in the bubble, and to be frank, I, th- I think he's been a more high-profile player than Middleton for a lot of his career anyway just because he's been a Kentucky guy, has had big playoff moments. But we're going to continue to see it, and and as Murray comes back, he hasn't made an All-Star game yet, but a lot of it is because of the East-West thing. Had he put up the numbers that he put up now and been in the Eastern Conference, he would have made it. I really do genuinely believe that. Personnel. You've got the Giannis and Middleton group on the other side. Jokic and Murray on this side here. Is MPJ the Drew Holiday of the Nuggets? Can he be the guy that really steps up, fills in the gaps, plays at a star level, and can really just be that third piece that takes the pressure off of the other two? The Nuggets are hoping so. Porter has really proven so already. Hasn't been perfect, but neither has Holiday, to be frank. Hasn't been just, he hasn't been the greatest third piece, but he's been a third piece, has had his moments. It's what the Nuggets continue to need. And maybe Porter continues to go beyond that. There's a reason why Denver didn't want to trade Porter for Drew Holiday, and I think they're right to do that. I think they would have been in a really different place had they not had the ability to trade for Aaron Gordon at that point. It would have been really difficult for them to do so. Maybe you can justify a healthy roster of Murray, Drew, Gordon, Jokic. Maybe you could say they would do it. I don't know. It would be tough. Everything would still be tough. I mean, I think that Murray added to this group still makes this group a finals contender, so that's that's where we're still at with this. But what the Bucks did around Giannis was they continued to build around him in the best way that they possibly could. Bryn Forbes, 
elite shooter, somebody who could come off of screens, who could spot up, who could give them a little bit of vertical spacing, somebody who could get away from uh, from the basket and still be successful. They found P.J. Tucker, who could operate in the corners while also taking some pressure off of him defensively. Can the Nuggets do the same when they add to their team and their superstar? Like, does Porter take enough pressure off of Jokic from a creation standpoint offensively? Because one of the things that really stands out from Denver's playoff run was that despite the fact that Porter had a lot of opportunities to shoot at various points, those shots were still being created by somebody else. A lot of times Jokic. And because of that, it doesn't really change a lot of what Jokic is doing. Porter is going to have to develop as a ball handler. And they're also going to have to have people that can take some pressure off of Jokic defensively. That means not having to play up the floor all the time. Not having to be put on an island all the time. They're going to need players that can defend their positions better. And it's going to be tough to find that on a consistent basis, I think. But beyond that, it's really just big three versus big three. Are the Nuggets and their big three in Jokic, Murray, and Porter, are they cohesive and good enough talent-wise to match a big three like Giannis, Middleton, and Drew Holiday? I think Nuggets fans would say, yeah, this Nuggets team is definitely more talented. This Nuggets group is definitely better. They have such a high ceiling, Ryan. But what I will say is that the Giannis-Middleton-Holiday pairing, they're all in their primes, and they all fit well on both ends of the floor. Giannis was perfectly willing to let Middleton be the guy at the end of games. They also had Drew Holiday as a creator, a secondary creator, somebody who could take advantage of a lesser ball handler defender. Can Porter do that? Can he defend? Can Murray defend when he comes back from an ACL tear? Can Jokic grow on that end? I think he will. I think he's got to learn from Brooke Lopez in a lot of those ways. But he's got to figure it out. The results are also very similar. The Bucks they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2018-19 to the Toronto Raptors, the eventual NBA champions, team with Kawhi Leonard that added to Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. Stacked team, really, really good. The Nuggets, they got to the Western Conference Finals last year in the bubble, and they lost to the eventual NBA champions in the LA Lakers. This past year, they also got to the Western Conference semifinals. And are they going to lose to the eventual NBA champion Phoenix Suns? I don't know. If the Suns do win the title, I think it sort of makes this loss by Denver palatable that they didn't have Murray and they lost to the eventual NBA champs. Like, what are we talking about here? So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Here's how the Nuggets can learn from the Bucks, in my opinion. One of the things that's really stood out with Milwaukee was how resilient they have been and how important that has been to their identity. They were crushed in a lot of cases. A lot of people didn't pick them. A lot of people have consistently just bashed Mike Budenholzer, bashed Giannis. Whenever they fall, whenever they struggle, they get a lot of negative criticism. 
And they haven't listened to those things, and they haven't let that affect them, and they're, they're in the NBA Finals for a reason. But there were a lot of opportunities where they probably could have folded. They probably could have tried to go away from their identity. But they haven't. They've stayed the course, waited it out, and they're leaning into what they and their superstar do the best. And that is defense, that's attacking the paint, that is being big, that is putting pressure on the opposing team to match up physically. From the Nuggets, they're going to have to do a similar thing, but for embodying what Jokic does. It's the offensive end. It's creating easy shots all the time. Maximizing shot opportunities for himself and teammates because he's a supercomputer. But also somebody with the creativity of an artist. He can go off script and make stuff happen and be the best player in the NBA at times. Can the Nuggets consistently convert those easy shots all the time going forward? It's hard to do it without your potentially all-star caliber point guard. It's hard to do it when Michael Porter's still 22 years old and they're still trying to figure out how to incorporate him into things. Should Denver stay the course? Should they continue to wait until they can take their best shot? I think there is a really large argument for that. Can this Nuggets team of 2021-22 And then the following year in 2022-23, can they be the next small market team that makes a run? There are going to be a lot of them. The Suns can also kind of make that claim that they're a team that doesn't get a lot of credit that should. And they're going to get that credit this year. They're also going to lose Chris Paul eventually, so we'll see what they do when that happens. But Denver's going to need to get lucky, as every team does. And they're also going to need to trust their talent. That means not just staying the course from a roster standpoint, from a Jokic, Murray, Porter, this group, Gordon, Barton, whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean staying the course in that way. But what it does mean is that Denver shouldn't be afraid to take risks. They shouldn't be afraid to continue to go hard. They got burned this past year because of a freak ACL tear. I hope they don't become gun-shy because of that. That if they find an opportunity to add to their group, knowing that whoever they add could be the difference between a championship and not, I hope they take that leap. I hope they believe enough in Jokic Murray Porter, or maybe it's just Jokic Murray, or maybe it's just Jokic. I hope they believe enough in their guys, in their situation, in their coaching staff, in their player development, in everything. I hope they believe enough in their group that they can weather a storm like the Milwaukee Bucks, who have done a fantastic job of surviving what people thought would be their downfall and are on the precipice of winning a really, really impressive NBA title. It would be very cool. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am going to have a special guest on tomorrow's episode. Going to be looking forward to breaking down Game 1, what happens, 
I believe Phoenix will win and will probably react to that. But if it's not Phoenix, if it's Milwaukee, and they do it on the road, it'll be a big deal. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this particular episode. We'll be back with some finals coverage and some draft coverage tomorrow with my special guest. I'll talk to you guys very soon.